Thank you for joining me today. This is Colin Hamilton, Commodities Analyst at BMO Capital Markets. And welcome to our short Metals Matters podcast where we highlight the key things you need to know in global metals and mining this week. I can't start anywhere else this week. The 32nd BMO Global Metals Mining and Critical Minerals Conference held just over a week ago was simply fantastic. I could bore you all day with the stats. There was over 2,000 attendees, 190 company presentations, over 10,000 meeting touch points, wonderful panels, and best of all, the ability to catch up with so many fantastic people across the industry. We are extremely proud of this event at BMO, and this was the biggest and best one yet. Um, I'm not going to turn this into an Oscar speech, but two particular groups I have to thank. Firstly, and I'm confident I'm speaking on behalf of all who attended, the BMO conference team, led by Jesse Chen, who planned brilliantly and worked relentlessly in the background to make an event 50% larger than last year, a pleasurable experience for all. That really is no mean feat. Secondly, our clients, without you there's no conference, and to have so many people there to discuss market dynamics with is simply invaluable. So, what did I notice and take away from the event? Well, the critical mineral stream that was formally added to the conference this year was packed. That's clearly front of mind, particularly for those either North American listed or with North American assets. It was also great to see the auto and OEM companies in attendance this year. Sadly, the gold and silver streams, they were much less busy. Um, something else I noticed, if you'd appeared at this conference from outer space and hadn't known about the last 20 years of metals markets, you'd think China was inconsequential. In the presentations from the major companies on the Monday morning, it was only one slide on China demand. A few years ago, these slides would have dominated the presentations. Now, in the question and answer session, many companies frequently refer to green shoots from reopening, but in my view, there was little tangible evidence offered of this. This most likely reflects the fact that companies simply don't have much visibility at the present time. Um, another thing that surprised me, I was expecting more of a plea for growth. I expected companies to make the argument that the reluctance of shareholders to reward capital investment was threatening the success of the fuel to materials transition. Not so. The focus remained on shareholder distribution, and while everyone was happy to talk their growth options, particularly in copper, there was no imminent desire to push these forward. Glencore argued that the industry needs to be incentivized to invest by customers. And while this has happened in the lithium space, metals mining, that's still the exception to the rule. Now, many presentations did talk to the challenges in building new projects at the present time, and thus the pendulum is definitely swinging towards inorganic growth. Finally, like I'm starting to debate whether we just rename the metals and mining industry the copper industry, or the copper equivalent industry or something like that. To be clear, I, I like the copper story, but so does the rest of the world, and when something is so consensus, it kind of starts to worry you. Even the servers at the diplomat lobby bar could tell you how wonderful copper was by the end of the conference. In our participant polling, almost 70% of those responding said copper was their favourite exposure on a five-year view. Diversified miners want more, and when you hear gold companies openly saying there's no limit to the proportion of copper they would have in their revenue mix, I was worried some of the old guard might fall off their chairs. Such comments would have been sacrilege five years ago. So, it was a great conference, many interesting takeaways. For those interested in the details of the keynote presentations and panels at the event, well, these are available on the BMO Capital Markets public website. That's capitalmarkets.bmo.com. Now, for any presentation copper or critical minerals related to the conference, there was a pretty good chance there'd be a slide on future market expectations. And 
These would typically show demand growth rising exponentially, massive deficits. This is all well and good, if a little self-serving, and does show the potential challenges the industry is facing to cope with the fuel-to-materials transition and that multi-decade annuity on the demand side. It's also somewhat false, though, given in commodity markets, and I keep saying this, things have to balance at the end of the day. This analysis would typically only consider one side of the equation. Unconstrained modelling, that's fine. But at the end of the day, supply has to more or less match demand, with price solving for the difference either through incentivising additional supply, organic growth could be additional scrap, could be technological gains, which by the way looks increasingly possible in copper, or it could be through destroying demand by a substitution, thrifting, engineering out. Inventory doesn't and cannot be negative. That's my constant bugbear when looking at longer term analysis. So it's interesting. We got a lot of incoming Tesla comment at its investor day that the next range of vehicles that they produce would have no rare earth permanent magnets. Yeah, that got us a lot of questions. Is this the end of rare earths? No, I would say it's the sort of thing that will increasingly be needed to avoid raw material bottlenecks that will constrain economic growth and the transition to a lower carbon future. Oh, and by the way, for now, China dominates magnet technology, EV manufacture and rare earth production. So is it really an industry that I think is going away? Now, akin to this topic, the partnerships needed to ensure security of supply was the main theme of the panel I actually hosted at the conference. And this discussed the rationale for recent investment by automakers in securing mine supply and most notably those of GM. The discussion revolved around how best to set up a critical metal supply chain within North America, the importance of understanding and policy alignment at the government level to facilitate this, the shared vision needed between miners and automakers to drive success, and the restoration of trust and collaboration between these industries. Um, security is why really is at the top of the agenda now. And it was a fascinating talk about forming partnerships across the value chain and co-investment with a common purpose. For those with a long memory in commodity markets, it's kind of akin to what was widespread in the industry during the 1980s and 1990s with much more bilateral agreements. So having metals and mining integrated into value chains rather than sitting as a siloed and untrusted industry is core to any re-rating that will take place over the coming years. And I'd like to thank my panellists from GM, Lithium Americas and MP Materials for a really fascinating and informative discussion. Apart from our conference, the other key thing for metals markets has been China's National People's Congress meeting. And for, well, for those of us who are regular China watchers, the regulatory overhaul of the financial sector and, and restructuring of the MIIT are, are interesting. Actually, for commodity markets, it's really the work report and the economic growth targets that actually matter. Overall, much of the commentary was consistent with previous releases versus, I would say, wider market hopes for more aggressive stimulus. And therefore, Li Keqiang's Swan Song speech was somewhat underwhelming. Now, most countries would, of course, be delighted to see a 5% GDP growth rate. But in a recovery year for China, this can probably be viewed as a pretty low hurdle for the incoming Prime Minister to meet. Or if you want to look at it another way, it could be argued that this level of growth target either leaves some contingency for global economic weakness or displays a lack of confidence in the Chinese consumer stepping up. For commodities, the fact that there was precious little new property market support certainly hurt sentiment. But the report itself wasn't all bad. Infrastructure spending is up again and this metals intensive spend will have to do a lot of heavy lifting for growth once more this year. Meanwhile, having been suspended in 2022 following the energy crisis, the target to reduce energy intensity per unit of GDP has been reinstated. Later in the year, this might lead to a renewed clampdown on steel. 
a wee minimum ferro alloys production and lower exports of these materials. Perhaps the most important thing though from the NPC is that ensuring security of raw material supply has been moved right up the policy agenda in China. And with the European Critical Raw Materials Act due next week, the impact of the US Inflation Reduction Act already being felt, raw materials are now really at the forefront of global geopolitics. This move is effectively a carte blanche to Chinese SOEs to invest in mines overseas again and is likely to see a re-rating of equities exposed to those raw materials China is naturally short of. Finally this week, I wanted to talk about the PGM market. Heading into our conference, we received a lot of inbounds on PGM underperformance, in particular why Palladium had shed 30% of its value at the start of November and over half from the peak last March. Those queries have quietened down a little bit of late. I'd say Palladium prices do look oversold where we are now, despite often seasonal weakness into Q2. Pretty dismal China auto numbers have definitely weighed heavily on the price. Passenger car sales of the first two months of this year were down 20% year on year, and that was compounded by some pretty active destocking into year end. Bear in mind, Chinese car companies are under a fair bit of financial duress. Globally, the expected recovery in auto sales remains fragile, giving broader macro headwinds and restricted monetary policy, particularly in the internal combustion engine segment as OEMs look to increasingly pivot new production lines towards electric vehicles. Headwinds facing the auto market, well, disproportionately weigh on palladium compared to platinum, particularly given autocatalysts make up 82% of palladium demand, only 44% of platinum, though we should see a sequential pickup in auto production from here and autocatalyst demand as China's recovery gathers momentum. That should support palladium pricing. Even with fairly meagre demand growth expectations, there are highly concentrated supply risks in these markets. Collectively, Russia and South Africa make up approximately 83% and 76% of refined platinum and palladium supply, excluding recycling, uh, that's respectively. And given pervasive load shedding in South Africa, coupled with the operational challenges facing Russian operations, we expect these markets to remain tightly balanced this year. To that end, the World Platinum Investment Council recently published their quarterly outlook, and that indicates an expected material deficit of over 550,000 ounces this year in the platinum market. That follows last year's surplus of over three quarters of a million ounces. Thank you for listening to Metal Matters. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics you'd like to hear me address, please do just get in touch directly. And I hope you can join me next time around to discuss even more pertinent issues with the global metals and bulk commodity markets. That was Metal Matters, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Metal Matters on Apple Podcasts and other podcast providers, or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more episodes, including our other podcast series, BMO Equity Research in Tune. If you have feedback or suggestions for upcoming podcasts, please do share it with me at colin.hamilton.com at bimo.com To access our full disclosures please visit researchglobalzero.bimocapitalmarkets.com forward slash public hyphen disclosure